Take your Bibles this morning, please turn to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10 this morning. That at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Hebrews chapter 10. I was sharing with the morning, I always say morning, you're not the evening crowd, are you? We've already had a service this morning, and I was sharing with them that uh, sometimes my mind, when, when I hear a song, my mind is picking things apart, and that one line in that song we just sang, that the songs that he gives in the night, and uh, you, you know, the Lord is good to, to do that for us, and I was just, I, yesterday I was studying, and uh, sometimes I'll get a little mental block or something, and, and uh, just... You know, you're just seeking the Lord. You're, what's the next word, Lord? What's the next verse? What's the, you, you know, and, and uh, just studying it out. And so I, I'll sometimes take a little break and I'll pull up a hymn on YouTube or something. And I was listening to the, that old hymn, Does Jesus Care? And uh, they sang the first two verses. And before they sang the last verse, they, a narrator came on and music was playing. And they went around this room where there's all these people in a church singing. And, and they said, this man just lost his wife of 50 years. And. And then on and on, the different trials. Another family had twin children killed in a car accident. And uh, then they sang, does Jesus care when I've said goodbye to the dearest on earth to me? And you can see tears rolling down their face. But to hear, oh, yes, he cares. I know he cares. And you know, one of those songs came to me several years ago. We were going through some deep waters and some struggles in the church and and I got in my car one day and I started driving and the hymn that came to my heart was, though the angry surges roll over my tempest-driven soul, will your anchor hold? And then you get to that verse of the chorus and it holds, my anchor holds. Blow your wildest, Satan, and O gale. On my bark so small and frail, and that's what we are, aren't we? We're feeble and frail as dust. But we have a big savior. He is the lion, he is the lamb, and he's worthy of our praise. But I want to preach about Jesus this morning. Hebrews chapter 10, and uh, you know, I, I believe it was D.L. Moody that said, doesn't matter where you start in the Bible, make a beeline to the cross. And that became more apparent to me during the lockdown when we were only doing live streaming, because there was times where we had several hundred tuned in on live stream and which meant you know in my family there were six you know six people watching and there, there could have been a thousand people watching we don't know we were trying to estimate I remember the one night the Calvin Allen preached for us and was singing some songs we advertised a little bit and we've, we've we estimated about 1300 watching that night and it became apparent to me that not all those people have heard the gospel we get into the rut where we come into our church service and we look around and we say, okay, everybody here has made a profession of faith or they perhaps know Christ. And, and so we don't always, but it became apparent to me that every time we have the ability to open the Bible, we ought to share Christ. And we might be preaching on Moses. We might be preaching on Abraham. But you, can, you find Christ all through the Bible, don't you? Abraham offered his only son, his only son, Imagine, what, a, what a picture of Christ. God offered his only son, Jesus Christ. And so we, all, we don't make any apologies for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And 
This morning, I want to take just a few moments and share with you something that happened upon your salvation. You know, sometimes we, uh, we group things together, don't we? We say, well, you know, on such and such a date, I accepted Christ as my Savior, and I've been born again, I've been saved. And, and understand this, about a thousand things happened when you got saved. It's incredible, and I don't believe it's fair to God that we group them all together. The Bible says in Romans chapter 12, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. If I had written the Bible, I would have said, I beseech you, brethren, therefore, brethren, by the mercy of God. But that's not what the Bible says. It says mercies, plural. In other words, God is saying, I want you to stop for a minute and consider each and every mercy I've showed you in your life. Don't just group it in as one big thing. Uh, Listen, we look at God and say, yes, God has shown me so much mercy. But he's shown you a lot of mercies individually. And he wants us to count each one of them. And so this morning, I'd like to just take a few moments and share with you three if I could. We're going to look at this a little differently than we might look. We're going to, I have three points and nine sub points. All right, we'll get you out of here for supper. Don't worry about it. But I'm not going to emphasize the first or the last point. We'll go through those very quickly. I want to center on the middle section, all right? So buckle up and listen quickly, and we'll get through as quickly as we can. You know, there are a lot of world religions out there. There's Muslim, of course. We all kind of, when I was a kid, I didn't hear much about Islam. But in the last 20 years, they have really made an impact on our society. And you know, I, I, I don't know much about it. We hear that they're the religion of peace. What we see on the news doesn't attest to that. But I, I, I have met certain Muslims that I would say are a meek and kind people. And let me say this about any religion or any cult. If people will come underneath their indoctrination, it will often make them kind and better people out of obedience to a set of rules. You could go downtown this afternoon and you could find probably an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting. And if you would adhere to their 12 steps and you would follow through in obedience, it would make you a better person. Perhaps you might be able to quit drinking. But what all of these world religions and programs lack in comparison to Christianity is the change of the heart that Jesus makes. What they are doing is making temporal changes, surface changes, improving externally, if you will. And honestly, friends, as as Bible-believing Baptists, we often make that same mistake where we say, well, you know, there's a good little Christian boy because he's dressed in a suit and a tie. We focus on those externals. We, we listen to, to, to how they talk, and we say, well, aren't they a, a kind and a nice little person? And, and we, we judge the externals when following a set of rules only makes us obedient. It doesn't make us holy. Following Christ will make us holy. And so we have to really focus on the heart. And I'm afraid and that, that over the years we've lost a lot of people that come and go simply because they haven't had a change of heart. They've come in and they've enjoyed maybe the fellowship. They've enjoyed what a Sunday school class has to offer. They've enjoyed the music, but they miss out on the life-changing salvation that Jesus Christ offers. I want to talk about that this morning. If you're saved today, I hope it'll be a matter of thanksgiving for you. As we look at what God has done for us through his son, Jesus Christ, and just, just three small things. Let me rephrase that. I say small because in comparison to all that God has done, But nothing God does for us is small. 
miraculous things that God has done for us. So let's look together in Hebrews chapter 10. We're just going to read a few verses and then we'll work our way through uh, the scripture this morning. Hebrews chapter 10 and look at verse 1. For the law, having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of the things can, uh, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered. Because that the worshipers once purged should have had no more conscience of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offerings thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, Thou hast had no pleasure. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you for the word of God today. And we pray, Lord, that you would use it to teach us, to help us, to grow us. Father, may the spirit of God speak through your word. Lord, may it speak to each heart. Father, I need your filling and so I surrender to you and ask that you would guide me in every word. And Father, we thank you again for your son, Jesus Christ, and the salvation that he offers. And if there be one today that doesn't know Jesus, we pray that they'd reach out in faith today and trust him before it's eternally too late. And Father, we'll thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The author of the book of Hebrews is likely the Apostle Paul. That's what many would agree with, I suppose. And if you're like me, I, I find Hebrews one of the most difficult books to understand. How many, how many of you would agree reading through Hebrews is a chore at times? It's a difficult book to understand. I remember when I first got into the ministry, Pastor Schuler had taught me, and, and when I was on summer staff, he says, you know, when you get into a, first, when you first start pastoring, he says, on a Wednesday night, just get into a series, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and, and really just dive into that book. He says, it'll help you. You never have to think about what your next message is for Wednesday night. And he says, just keep teaching through that book. He says, as a young pastor, it'll save you so much heartache trying to find new messages all the time. And so I took his advice, and I didn't know any better. I just took Hebrews. There we go. So here we are trying to work our way through Hebrews, one of the most difficult books of the Bible. But let me tell you some of the most precious truths of the Word of God are found right in the book of Hebrews. In the first few verses, we find something about the Old Testament. We find, uh, if, if, I could, if I could give you a summary of the book of Hebrews, I might put it this way, there is a better way. There's a better way. The first few chapters of the book of Hebrews, we find that Christ is a greater high priest than Melchizedek. We find that he is greater than the angels. We find that he is greater uh, than Aaron and Abraham and Moses. And, and so there's a better way, and it's in Jesus Christ. But we find also here there's a better way than the Old Testament. The Bible tells us, first of all, when we talk about the covering of our sin, that we notice in the first few verses that it is a provisional covering. It is a provisional covering. The Bible says in verse 1, For the law having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of the things can never with those sacrifice which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. It was provisional. It was never meant to be permanent. It was something that God did to allow them to understand the, the, the gravity of their sin and how terrible their sin was. You understand that when Adam and Eve sinned against God, the first thing God did was he took some animals and he shed their blood and he made them coats of skin as a covering for their sins. 
We noticed some things in the passage of Hebrews chapter 10 this morning that will help us understand what I mean by a provisional covering. First of all, we find that it was temporary. The Bible says in the very first verse, it was just a shadow of things to come. How many of you know that shadows don't last? When the light comes, they are diminished and vanish away. A shadow is never meant to be a permanent thing. I remember when our son uh, Austin was just a little boy, he was scared literally of his own shadow. He really was. There was times he'd come down from the second floor from his bedroom and he'd stand at the bottom of the steps and he'd be looking down the hallway. So what are you doing, Austin? I'm seeing if that shadow is there. We say, it won't be there until you go there. It's going to follow you wherever you go, buddy. I wasn't a very good dad in that regard. I scared him all the time. Scared of his own shadow. A shadow cannot hurt you. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, shadow can't harm you. It is just meant to be a temporary covering. What Christ did for Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden was never meant to be a permanent covering because Jesus Christ was coming. And the Bible says he was the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. God had a plan. And it was through his son, Jesus Christ. It was just a temporary covering. I want you to notice, secondly, not only was it temporary, it was temporal. It was a temporal covering. We've already read the first few verses. Jump down to verse 5 with me. The Bible says, Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, Jesus Christ, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldst not, but a body thou hast prepared me, and burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin thou hast had no pleasure. Then said I, Lo, I come, in the volume of the book it is written to me, to do thy will, O God, above when he said, Sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offering for sin Thou wouldest not. Neither had pleasure therein, now look at the next phrase, which are offered by the law. It was temporal. It was earthy. It was of the law. They said, what do you mean by that? I mean that when, uh, when somebody in the Old Testament committed a sin, they would go uh, to their flock or they would go and they would purchase a lamb. They would take that lamb to the Levites, the priests, and they would inspect that lamb and they would declare it without blemish and without spot. And then from there, they would take that lamb and they would shed its blood upon the altar. And on the day of atonement, the high priest would take that into the Holy of Holies and offer it in atonement for their sins. But it was temporal. It was something they could see. It was something that they could physically do to make an offering unto God. You see, if you sinned, you could go and take that lamb. You know, so many are looking for that idol in their life today. Bob says, blessed are they that have not seen and yet believe. I cannot see the blood of Jesus Christ applied to the altar, but I believe that his blood was sufficient to pay the price for my sins. What was once temporal and earthly and of sight, now I accept by faith through Jesus Christ, the perfect Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world. So it was temporary and it was temporal. But I want you to notice quickly, thirdly, about this this, uh, provisional covering. It was tenuous. Notice what it says in verse 9. Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second. By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest, listen verse 11, so important. And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. It was tenuous. By that I mean it was weak. 
It was repeated over and over. The Bible says in verse 11 that the priests have to stand there daily ministering, offering sacrifice, and often the same sacrifice. You said, what does he mean by that? Have you ever done this? Have you ever come down to the altar and prayed for that same sin over and over and over and over again? God's forgotten it, but the devil never does forget, does he? He pokes you and he pricks you and he reminds you in it. That besetting sin that just wears upon your heart. And the priests had the same duty. They were offering that same. If they could talk and look at each other and know what was going on as they laid their hands and transferred that sin upon that lamb, maybe they looked at each other and said, didn't we pray over this same thing last week? Didn't, didn't Zechariah come down here and pray about that same sin? Isn't this about the fifth time that we're the same thing over and over Look at verse 10. We see that the law was weak and it was beggarly and it compared to the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says in verse 10, by the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. Look at those next three words. Once for all. Verse 12, but this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins, forever sat down on the right hand of God. Listen, what the priest had to do daily, Jesus Christ did once and his blood was sufficient. The Old Testament was tenuous. It was weak. It was just a provisional covering. But the Bible says in verse 5, when he cometh into the world. How many of you know that good news is about to follow? When the Bible says, when he cometh in the world, hey, anytime Jesus shows up, it, it's a good thing's about to happen. Notice what I, I, we notice, not just in the Old Testament, we see a provisional covering, but in the New Testament, we see a permanent cleansing, a permanent cleansing. Look what it says, and I want to focus on this for a few moments. I want you to notice three things, and, and only three, because if, if we were to go to four, five, or six, it would overwhelm our souls today with what Christ has done for us. But here's number one, verse 17. Their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. Do you know why they had to do offerings every year, continually, daily? Why they had to go up every year on the Day of Atonement and offer for their sins? Because they couldn't forget. There was no power to be cleansed. They were only covered temporarily. But when Jesus comes, he cleanses. I want you to understand something about that phrase, remember no more. Remember no more. That is an act of will on the part of God. What do I mean by that? You might say, and, and here's, here's where we get in tying all these doctrines together. And yes, they go together, but we need to appreciate his mercies one by one. You might say, well, I've been washed in the blood of Christ. And so since my sins are cleansed, God can't see them anymore. That's absolutely true. But that doesn't mean he doesn't remember them. Okay? My daughter moved to Rochester, New York this week. I can't see her, but I remember her. You might say, well, maybe, Pastor, because we are robed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. God can't see our sins. All he sees is his son. That's another wonderful doctrine. Absolutely true. But because he can't see does not mean he does not remember. God is not frail and feeble like we are. He does not forget. 
So when the Bible says he remembers our sin no more, it means it is an active will of God. That God has decided that he will no longer remember our sin. I mean, that is wonderful, wonderful. That would make you want to stand up and shout a little bit and get excited. God says, I don't, rem- I don't have that ability. I've heard preachers say, you got to forgive and forget. I'm not God. I-, I may not hold it to their account. I may not treat them every different. But if I forget, it's because that's how my mind works, not because I tried to. As a matter of fact, I've used this illustration before. If somebody were to babysit my children when they were little and they abused them, I might be able to forgive them, but I'd be a fool to forget. They're not coming back and babysitting again. You'd be foolish to forget. Do you see what God is doing when he says, I'll remember your sin no more? You know what God is doing? He's opening himself up to getting hurt all over again. He's just allowing us to do the same thing. Think about that besetting sin. Think about how many times we have failed. And God says, I forget and I forget and I forget. It would be to God's advantage not to forget. Then he would discipline us. Then he would punish us. Then he would correct us. But he says, your sins I remember no more. That is an act of the will of God. It says it in Hebrews 10. It says it again in Hebrews chapter 8. That he forgets your sin. What a wonderful blessing. I never have to worry when I go boldly to the throne of grace about last week's sin. I never have to worry that God is angry with me or disappointed in me. If I have confessed my sins, he is faithful and just to forgive me of my sin and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. But he does more than that. My sins and my iniquities, he'll remember no more. I never have to come into his presence and worry about something I have confessed already and I've been forgiven of already. He's not going to hold it to my account. I remember times where I was sheepish around my parents and I was concerned about a broken relationship because I had been forgiven and yet things were just not the same. I never have to worry about that with my God. He remembers it no more. I want you to notice the next verse, verse 18. Because of this permanent cleansing that Christ offers, he remembers our sin no more. But then we see in verse 18, the remission of sins. Verse 18 says, now where remission of these is, talking about sin and iniquities, There's no more offering for sin. Where remission? The word remission means to remove. To forcefully put away. It carries with it the idea from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 when the Bible says, Then they which are alive and remain shall be caught up. That word caught up is where we get the word harpazio, rapture, which means a violent snatching away. The root of this word here is talking about our sins being torn away from us violently. Not a wonderful thing. Like a surgeon cutting out a cancerous tumor, God says, that is not helpful to you, that is hurtful, and so I'm going to tear it out of your body violently. So it is a a putting away, a, a forceful putting away to release us from the bondage of or to remove the penalty of. God takes care of our sin. Not only does he forget about it, he doesn't remember it anymore, but he gives us remission for it. You know, so often we carry around the guilt and the shame, and God says, I have taken it violently out of your life, and I have put it away. I have taken the penalty from your life. 
You know, often I've heard preach that, you know, you, you can be forgiven of your sin, but you still have to deal with the penalty of sin. My Bible says right here, the word remission says to put away the penalty. They said, but oh, but he, to whom he loveth, he chasteneth. Yes, because I'm in my sin currently. And so he corrects me. He loves me like a heavenly father. But when he puts it away, well, listen, how can he punish you for sin he doesn't remember? How can he punish you for sin he doesn't remember? I only hoped and prayed when I was a kid. I hope my mom forgets by the time I get home. God has. God has. I remember one time my mom said, when we get home, when we get home, I won't tell you about the atrocity she spoke next, how she abused and tortured me. And I remember in the car praying all the way home, oh God, let her forget. She didn't. She didn't. But God forgets. And he offers us the remission of our sins. Matthew chapter 26, verse 28 says, For this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. The author Luke was writing about the Lord Jesus Christ when he said this, To give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins. Listen, think about that verse with me for a moment. You wouldn't even know you're saved if God didn't put your sin away. How, how could you know that you're saved when you're walking around in guilt and shame? But he has freed us from the bondage of sin. It has been put away. In Acts chapter 2, verse 38, Peter preached on the day of Pentecost. He said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now, I looked up that word remission. I looked up the Greek, and I... Got out my concordance. And it's only used 17 times in the New Testament. And interestingly enough, it's not always the word remission. It has the exact same meaning. But boy, here, here's the thing. When you compare scripture with scripture, you never find correction. You find color. It just brightens it up. There's, there's no correcting the word of God. Notice what he says. When we see that word again, we find it in, in Luke chapter 4. The Lord Jesus Christ had just been tempted by the devil in the wilderness, and he comes out, and he enters into a synagogue, and they hand him the scrolls to read. And he turns to Isaiah, and he reads this passage. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach, and here's the word for remission, deliverance to the captives. Same Greek word. That makes sense because remission is to be set free, to be delivered. And then he goes on in the very same word, verse, and the word appears again. Deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind to set it, listen to this, liberty. Hey, when you got saved and God took your sins and offered you the remission of sins through your blood, you had deliverance, you had liberty. You're free from this. Both the songs that we sang, the ensemble sang this morning, talked about our chains being broke free. We are free in Christ. There's one other word that is used in the same context. Acts 5.31. Him hath God, talking about Jesus, him hath God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a savior for to, for, uh, to give repentance to Israel, listen, and forgiveness. The forgiveness of sins. He said, I don't know much about that word remission. How about this word? You're forgiven. That's a good word. 
I have liberty. I have deliverance. I have forgiveness. I have remission of sins. That's what the word means. You say, well, how? How how does he offer us this? How does he put away our sin? Psalm 103 verse 12 tells us, as far as the east is from the west, mm, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. As far as east is from west. I, I was teasing Rob Ternowski in the morning service. I said, Rob, the earth's about 6,000 years old. Tell me how many times the earth has spun on its axis. Here's why. The Bible doesn't say as far as the north is from the south. Because when you get to the north, you have a stopping point. And you start heading south again. When you get to the bottom, you start heading north again. But if you start heading west today, you just keep going and going and going and going and going. Rob said in 6,000 years, the earth has spun on its axis. He came, he figured it out and came and told me right around 4 million times. He said 3 million, 900 and some odd. Right around 4 million times the earth has spun. Your sin just keeps getting further and further away as far as east is from the west. That's, that's how he puts our sin away from us. I, I'm not making that up. God said that. As far as the east is from the west. And then he says this in Micah chapter 7. He will turn again. He will have compassion upon us. He will subdue our iniquities. And thou will cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. Do you know what the depths of the sea are? Have you ever watched one of those shows where they go down there? It's scary stuff, man. There are things living down there that you wouldn't want anywhere near you. You can't even see. It's so dark you can't even see them. God says, I'll, I'll remove far east and west. In case you don't understand what that is, I'll put them down so far deep in the sea you'll never find them. You know, it would crush your body to go looking for them from the pressure. That's remission. That's what he does with our sins. That's what happened when you got saved. Let me, let me show you another one. Oh, it just keeps getting better. He remembers not our sin. We see the remission of sin. But look at, look at the next verse here. Verse 19, he reconciles us to the Father. Hmm. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way. By the way, that living way, that's Jesus. I'll show you that in a minute. Which he hath consecrated for us through the veil that is to say, his flesh. And having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. See what he says? Now that I'm a child of God, now that I have this permanent cleansing, hey, hey that, that, that provisional covering... That didn't allow anybody but the high priest to go in the Holy of Holies. But when Jesus cleansed my heart of sin, when he removed it as far as east is from the west, he says, now you can enter in the veil. I don't know about you, but I'm curious. When I walk past a room, maybe in the hospital, that says staff only, I want to know what's in there. Don't you? I, when I was a kid, I used to think, when I was in public school and they had the staff room, the offices, I used to think, they're just partying in there. They're just trying to get away from us. They got snacks in there. I mean, they're just, I always wanted to know. And I always, I tried whatever way I could to get in there. 
teacher would say, I got to go get some. I'll go get it for you. It's in the, I'll go get it. It's in the staff room. I'll get it. And I'll enjoy the snacks and I'll, you know. I, I'm curious that way. I wonder how many of the priests of Levi said, I wonder what's in the Holy of Holies. I've read about it. But I, it's not the same as seeing it. Now, I remember stories from our fathers that talked about that ark. So they walked around Jericho and they went into battle and they crossed rivers. And I remember that, but, oh, I want to see it. And not only that, I want to be there when the Lord descends. I wonder if they wondered what was back there. I would. I wonder how many Israelis, how many Jews just thought, oh, I just want to get in there. I just, I love to go in and, and be in his presence. Joshua, the Bible says, he didn't leave the tabernacle day and night because he heard God speaking to Moses. So I'm staying right here. This is where it's at. But one day Jesus Christ came. And the veil was torn from the top to the bottom. Now it talks about entering through the veil, but notice this is not the same veil. This was not a curtain hung by man. This was not something that God instructed them to, to raise up and to put there and that no man but the high priest was to enter in once a year. This is not the same veil. Notice what the Bible says about this veil. He says in verse 20, by a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil that is to say what? His flesh. You see, in the Old Testament, before you were saved, when you only had a, uh, a temporary or provisional covering, there was a veil that stood there, and only the high priest could go for it. But do you know the only thing between you and God now? Jesus Christ. The veil says it is his flesh. He is a new and living way to God. And Jesus stands there, and when you come to him in faith and his blood cleanses you, he steps aside and says... Come into the Father. Come boldly into the Holy of Holies. Hebrews chapter 4 bears out this thought. We can go boldly to the throne of grace. Because we are covered in the blood of Jesus Christ. What a wonderful thing that God did for us when we got saved. The day he cleansed us from our sin, he said, I'm not going to remember that anymore. I'm going to remit your sins. I'm going to take them and remove them as far as the east is from the west. And then I'm going to reconcile you to the Father. You can come boldly to him through me. There's one more thing I'm going to give you very quickly. I know our time is gone. We saw that there was a provisionary covering. We saw also there was a permanent cleansing through Jesus Christ. But now God asks something of you. He's asking you to make a purposeful commitment. A purposeful commitment. Here's the thing. A commitment is so much easier when your heart is full of what Christ has done for you. Somebody walks to the door and says, listen, we need you to commit to the church. We need to commit this and commit to that. What are you talking about? But when you get Christ in your heart, you'll serve him with joy and gladness. Notice, first of all, this purposeful commitment we find in verse 23. He says, make a commitment to Christ. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. And don't miss this last part. For he is faithful. That promised. Hey, if you'll commit to Christ first, everything else comes easy. 
Do you, do you know how Paul convinced all those Macedonian churches to give an offering? He didn't have to. Because they gave their own selves to the Lord. As a matter of fact, read that scripture. They begged him with much entreaty. They were, or they prayed him with much. They, the, what it means is they were begging, take the offering, Paul. I can't take it, it's too much. You, you are giving beyond your power. You're going to be hurt. No, no, we beg you, we plead with you, Paul. Please take it. Why? Because they gave themselves first. No request of God will be too hard if we just give our hearts to Christ. He says, in light of all these things, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, in light of all these things, let us hold fast the profession of our faith. Then he says, secondly, we must first make a commitment to Christ. Then we need to make a commitment to considering others. Verse 24, and let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Consider others. Somebody wrote a little chorus. Jesus, others, and you, that's the way to spell joy. Commit to Christ. Commit to others. And how do we do that? Verse 25, committing ourselves to the church. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't want to use the pulpit or the Bible as a hammer. So many have said over the years, well, we have to have church, this shutdown and all, and all the things we're hearing in the news because the Bible commands us to go to church, not forsaking. The word forsake means to stop doing something and never do it again. That's what it means. When we were out of church for those 11 weeks, I never in my heart even once thought I'm forsaking church. As a matter of fact, church became more precious to me. I couldn't wait to get back. And so sometimes we like to use it as a bully pulpit and a hammer and say, you should never miss for anything ever. Don't go on vacation. And there's churches like that. Because the Bible says you got to. No, this is talking about people that are falling away. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. We all could name 10 people that have come to church for a while and then they quit and never come again. Listen, having said that, are you saying it's not important? No, no, it's, it's important to be in church. Don't get me wrong. I think it's important to be in church three times a week. I, I just believe that. I believe that the more we're in church, the more we'll grow. I, I think we need more prayer, not less prayer. I think God deserves more worship, not less worship. I think we ought to be in church as much as we possibly can because it's there that we fellowship with the saints. But here's the thing. He says, let us commit to Christ and let us commit to one another. How do we do that? By going to church. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see that you can't exhort somebody if you're not here. Be in your place. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes for a moment. And I just wanted to give you that summary, those last three verses. But I really want to focus on what Christ did for us today. How many of you can honestly say you're thankful he doesn't remember your sin? The devil does, but Christ doesn't. How many of you are glad that he's removed your sin as far as the east is from the west? How many of you are glad that he reconciled you to the Father? For some of you today, this is a matter of thanksgiving. If you're being baptized today, you can be dismissed right now. Go get ready. For some of you, this is a matter of thanksgiving. 
Just a time to praise the Lord and thank him for what he's done for you when you got saved. For others, maybe you say, I've never entered into that relationship with Christ. I've never experienced that freedom from sin. I've never experienced what it's like to pray and actually know that I'm in the presence of God and he's listening to me. Perhaps it's because you've never been forgiven. You've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I'll agree that there's times where we are backslidden and our hearts are cold and we feel much the same way. And by the way, salvation is not about a feeling. It is a fact. Let me ask you, do you know for sure you're saved? If you die today, would you spend eternity with Christ in heaven? Let's stand to our feet. The instruments are going to play. Brother Cody's going to come take the invitation as I prepare for baptism. Come to the altar and pray. Maybe you've never made that decision before. You've never realized your need for the Lord Jesus. Realize our sins are going to send us to a place called hell, but Christ can spare us from that. As we hear in the background, amazing grace, how sweet the sound. It's amazing that God has so much grace. And Do business with the Lord as the Lord leads upon your heart.